the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. BBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Moss portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Even if you don't hold to either one of these two opposite extreme views concerning the law, all of it should be obeyed or none of it should be obeyed, you probably have some sort of a a vague notion, as many Christians do, that because grace and law are just so different that they must be opponents of each other, that they must be in conflict with each other. But they're not in opposition at all. In fact, they're like teammates working together for the salvation of sinners. That's what Paul is going to teach us this morning, how God has wonderfully designed both his law and his grace to work together to lead people to faith in Christ. When we see its true purpose, the law that God gave to Moses is brilliant. It isn't meant to save us. It's meant to demonstrate to us that we need Jesus. We'll learn more about that today on Verse by Verse. Welcome. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're continuing our study of Galatians chapter 3, and today we come to Paul's very clear answer to a question that has troubled and confused people for many centuries. If we are saved by grace, why did God give Moses the Ten Commandments? We have a lot to cover today, so let's get started. Here's Pastor Steve. I invite you again to open your Bibles to Galatians, and I want to read to you verses 19 through 22. I know we just read them. This will help stick in your mind. Starting in verse 19, Paul says this, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have indeed been based on law. But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This morning, we have come to these verses here in Galatians 3, in which the Apostle Paul writes about the Old Testament law of God, the law of Moses. And he specifically writes about the purpose of the law. I want you to notice that in this passage, Paul raises two questions concerning the law and its purposes. Question number one is found in verse 19. Why the law then? Meaning, if the law can't save anybody as Paul has been emphatically stating, 
and it is so contrary to the principle of grace and faith, then what purpose does it serve? That's question number one. Question number two is found in verse 21 when Paul writes, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Meaning if grace and law are such opposite principles and so contrary to one another, then, then does this mean that they're in conflict, that the law is somehow evil because it's in opposition to God's promise to save people by grace? Now, folks, those are the two questions that Paul raises in this section, and they are important questions for us to understand because Paul's answers make up the content and the message of these verses. But it's also important for us to understand why Paul asked these specific questions here, why he felt compelled at this particular point in his letter to the Galatians to ask these questions. After all, these questions didn't just come out of the blue. There's a reason Paul decided to focus here in chapter 3 on these issues concerning the law of Moses. And the simple reason why he did this is because, as you'll recall from our previous studies, the apostle has just concluded telling the Galatians that far from saving anyone, the law actually brings a curse. It's a curse of divine condemnation upon those who don't perfectly obey the law. He said that in verse 10, it can't save you. It'll curse you because you have to obey it perfectly or else God says you're cursed with condemnation. In addition, he has told them, as we saw last week, that the way of salvation is by means of a promise that God made to Abraham concerning the gospel message found in Jesus Christ and that the giving of the law, which took place 430 years later, did not replace the promise of grace. It didn't nullify it. It didn't, in fact, change the promise at all. He says that in verses 17 and 18. In other words, Paul's made it very clear to the Galatians that salvation has been, and it continues to be, and it will always be based on a promise that is to be received by faith and not by anything that we can do by observing a set of religious rules and laws. And so, having just said some rather negative things about the law concerning what it can't do, which is save anybody, Paul knew what the Galatians were thinking. It was obvious what they were thinking. He knew that in light of what he had just written about the law, what it could not do, they wanted to know, well, then what could it do? What can it do? What's the purpose of it? In other words, here's what they were thinking. If the law only brought condemnation for disobedience rather than salvation, then why in the world did God give the law in the first place? What good is it? And if the terms of salvation are faith in a promise then doesn't the law stand in the way of God's promise? Isn't the law at odds with, and, and even in opposition to the purposes of God, if God's purpose is to save people by a promise of grace and not law? That's what they're asking. Those are the questions that Paul understood were on the minds of the Galatians. But it's important for us to realize that though the Galatians were confused about the role of the law because, frankly, they had been taught error by the legalists, by the Judaizers, who insisted that the law had to be kept in order to be saved. Understand this, the Galatians weren't the only believers to have ever been confused or to ever misunderstand what the purpose of the law is. You see, there are many believers today who really don't have a clue as to what the purpose of the Mosaic Law is, what, what role it should play 
in their own lives. And because they are essentially clueless, they take oftentimes one of two extreme views concerning the law. One extreme view espoused by some is that as believers in Christ, we are obligated to observe all of the laws, even the most minute details of the law today, which would include keeping the Sabbath day holy, eating only Jewish kosher foods, practicing Jewish observances, holidays, festivals, and on and on it goes. You can observe this kind of belief, this behavior, amongst those who are Messianic Jewish believers, or actually in that movement, there are Most of them are Gentiles, but it's the Messianic movement. They're part of a movement that emphasizes the Jewish heritage of the Bible, which they think includes strict adherence to all the Old Testament laws that have been given to Israel. Now, that's one view, one extreme view. But there are others who take just the opposite view. They see absolutely no place and no relevance for the law of Moses in a believer's life today. And so they don't think that we should concern ourselves at all about obeying all or any of the Old Testament laws. And that would include, they'd say, the Ten Commandments, even though these commandments focus on God's unchanging moral standards. And the reason they feel this way is because they believe that today's church-age believers are under the principle of grace and not law. And in their way of thinking, that means no obligation to obey any laws, even those that address ethics and morality. Grace, they feel, makes only suggestions as to how we live, while law, they feel, makes only demands. There is an official name for this. It's called antinomianism, which means against law. Therefore, because they feel we are not under law in any way, then they believe we don't have to comply with any legal demands, even if they involved morality. And so, as you can see, this passage that we're going to study this morning is quite important for us to understand. It's quite relevant because not only will it help us to avoid either one of these extremes, and they're both wrong, but it will also enable us to know that what the Bible teaches about God's purpose in giving his law and the role that it should play in our lives daily. See, even if you don't hold to either one of these two opposite extreme views concerning the law, all of it should be obeyed or none of it should be obeyed. You probably have some sort of a a vague notion, as many Christians do, that because grace and law are just so different that they must be opponents of each other, that they must be in conflict with each other. But they're not in opposition at all. In fact, they're like teammates working together for the salvation of sinners. And that's what Paul is going to teach us this morning, how God has wonderfully designed both his law and his grace to work together to lead people to faith in Christ. In studying this passage this week, I was reminded of an interesting oddity from the world of baseball. That's right, the world of baseball. That might help you to remember that law and grace indeed are on the same team working together. Several years ago, the Chicago Cubs had two players on their team by the names of Law and Grace, Vance Law and Mark Grace. Not only were they on the same team, they actually played positions in the field that strangely illustrated 
what the Bible says about law and grace working together. Vance Law played third base for the Cubs. Mark Grace was their first baseman. And so when ground balls were hit to, to third and then thrown to the first baseman, it was literally law to grace. You wonder where I was going with this, didn't you? Law to grace, which is exactly the path that the Bible says a sinner must follow in coming to faith in Christ. He comes first under conviction of sin by his exposure to the law, which leads him to see the grace of God in Christ. And so, without even realizing it, the Chicago Cubs were a living illustration, that summer at least, of the biblical truth concerning the relationship of law and grace in salvation. Listen, if for no other reason than that they inadvertently displayed such good theology, you just have to love the Cubs. For no other reason than that. And so I hope that this little story from the world of baseball will help you to remember, remember the relationship of how law works with grace. Far from being in opposition to each other, they are actually like teammates working to accomplish the same thing, the salvation of sinners. And that's really Paul's message here in Galatians 3 as he explains to the Galatians the divine purpose of the law. And here's the way he he does it. In writing to the Galatians about the purpose of the law, Paul lays out three key truths about the law. Now, last week we looked at the first of these, and I'll just mention it very briefly. The first key truth Paul stated about the law was that God never intended the law to replace the message of salvation by faith. This is actually more of a statement of what the purpose of the law is not rather than what it is. God never intended the law to replace the message of salvation by faith. We saw that, and I won't read it again. We saw that in verses 15 through 18 as Paul uses the analogy of a man's last will and testament, which when it is officially ratified can never be altered or set aside. Paul says that the promise God made to Abraham about salvation is just like a legal will that that can't be changed. Even though God instituted his law 430 years later after he last reiterated the promise of the Abrahamic covenant, Paul says that didn't change anything. That didn't change a thing concerning the terms of salvation because like a legal will, the promise of salvation by grace was permanent. It was binding. It can't be changed. can't have an amendment added to it. And so now that Paul has spelled out the fact that when the law came into effect, it didn't replace the promise of grace as the means by which people are saved, the apostle moves on to address the obvious question that was on the, the minds and hearts of all of his readers, then what is the purpose of the law? We know the purpose of the law wasn't to replace Grace, then what is the purpose of the law? If it can't save but only condemn, then why did God give it? What purpose does it serve, if any? And Paul's answer constitutes the second key truth about the law, which is this. God gave the law in order to show us that we were transgressors of his will. Verse 19 starts this way. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Now, Paul begins by asking the logical question that we've already alluded to a number of times. If the law wasn't added as an amendment to the promise of salvation made to Abraham, then why was it instituted? Why was it added, and he means added to God's revelation to man, if it wasn't to replace grace as the means of salvation? 
And Paul answers his own question by saying it was added because of transgressions. Now, what exactly does he mean by this? It was added, the law was added to man's revelation because of transgressions. Does the apostle mean that because man is so sinful and guilty of so many transgressions that God revealed his law in order to restrain man's wicked behavior? Is that what Paul means? Is Paul saying that the law was added because man had committed so many transgressions that he needed some threat of legal punishment in order to contain and curb his appetite for sin? Is that what Paul is saying? Well, it's certainly true. It is a biblical truth that the fear of being punished as a lawbreaker is a deterrent to sin. In the sense, at least to some degree, that laws do restrain outward behavior. Paul actually teaches this truth in Romans 13 when he states that God has instituted human governments with their various laws in order to act as a deterrent to crime and therefore a way to restrain man's evil. So that is a biblical truth. However, that's not the biblical truth Paul is making here in Galatians 3. That's not his point at all. Because the law of Moses doesn't actually restrain sin at all. In fact, it does just the opposite. It reveals sin. It exposes sin. And that's the point that the apostle is making here in Galatians. See, when Paul says that the law was added because of transgressions, note this, he means that the law was given to man in order to show him that all of his sins were official transgressions of God's will, his holy standards. Let me, let me explain. Prior to the giving of the law to the children of Israel, people sinned. That, that's a given. We understand that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The entire human race was plunged into sin the moment that Adam disobeyed God. So people have been sinning for years before the law was given. However, it wasn't until God gave his written law that those sins, note this, took on the character of actual transgressions against God's will. You see, the law was given to man in order to make his sinful wrongdoing, now a legal offense. That is to say that the law revealed to him that he was a transgressor, which means to overstep a boundary. He was a transgressor of God's holy standards of right and wrong. That is to say the law turns sin into transgression and reveals the true character of sin, a violation of God's holy standards of what's right and wrong. Romans 4, verse 15 says this, where there is no law, there is no violation. Doesn't mean there's no sin. It's just no official violation. In other words, while people have always sinned, the law made it official that sin was a violation against God's will. Here's the way one Bible teacher explained this. I I read this to you because I think this is helpful. He wrote, before the law, our final court of appeal for right and wrong was our own conscience. And its judgments were relatively easy to ignore or just to explain away. But the law clearly defined what was moral and immoral, godly and ungodly. Sin was no longer a matter of human opinion, but divinely established fact. Now we knew we were transgressors of God's righteous standard, not simply offenders of human law. He's saying God put it in black and white. Now we can read it. Now we can go, oh, that's what I've done. That's wrong. 
Listen, what Paul wants the Galatians, the Judaizers, and us to understand is that the law was given not as a means of salvation, but as the way to show people the true nature of God's holy character and the truth about their own sinful character. The law changed man's vague awareness of wrongdoing into clearly definable violations of God's will. Now, Paul stated the same truth a number of times, not only here in Galatians, but especially in Romans. In Romans 3.20, he says this, because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's through the law that we can see what is right and wrong. It's no guesswork. Romans 7, 7, speaking of himself before his conversion, Paul wrote this, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, why is it so important for us to know that we are sinners who have transgressed God's holy standards? Because watch this, because no one, can ever be saved, be converted, apart from understanding that they are guilty sinners who stand condemned before a perfectly holy God who must, by the integrity of his own character, punish every transgression. This is why an understanding of God's law is absolutely critical for every one of us, because without it, We can't really understand how sinful we are. And if we don't understand how sinful we are, then we'll never see our true need for salvation in Christ. Now, let me put this as clearly and yet forcefully as I can. Although the law cannot save us, it is something that is good. It's holy. It's profitable for all of us because it reveals to us that our sins, note this, are not simply human frailties or weaknesses of the flesh sort of like, well, to err is human type of deal, but rather our sins represent a willful revolt against the authority of Almighty God. Listen, the law of Moses just blows the lid off of our respectability, and it shows us what we're really like in our hearts, all of us, murderers, Lustful adulterers, liars, slanderers, rebels against our our parents, and all authority figures. Coveters, robbers, blasphemers, and on and on it goes. As someone so graphically put it, they said, only by the light of the law can the vermin of sin be exposed in our hearts. And folks, as painful as it is to face the truth about ourselves, we want to. We want our vermin-like sinful hearts exposed because it's only when we see the depths of our depravity that we understand how much we need Jesus Christ. It's precisely this salvation in Christ that Paul alludes to next as he continues to explain the purpose of the law. Notice all of verse 19. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promises had been made. Now, for right now, let's leave this middle statement about angels and mediators alone. We'll pick it up in a few minutes. But for right now, I want you to notice the last statement of this verse in which Paul explains that the law was added because of transgressions. He says, until the seed would come to whom the promise 
have been made. Now, since Paul has already identified who that seed is, Jesus Christ, he's already told us in verse 16 that when God made the promise to Abraham of salvation, he was also making it to Christ. Christ is that seed. What he means then by the statement is that that God gave his law to Israel in order to point them to Jesus Christ. So the law was meant to show Israel how sinful they were, and the same for us. It should drive us to Jesus. We're out of time today, but Pastor Steve will have more on this topic on the next Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. To find out more about Lakeside, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. We're in the middle of a series from Galatians chapter 3 about the purpose of the law. If you've missed any broadcasts in this series, you can get caught up via the message archive page at versebyverseradio.org. Also on our website is a convenient giving page if you feel led to help support Verse by Verse. We can't do this without the generosity of listeners like you. So we're thankful for every gift and every giver. The website again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Isn't it a relief to know that we don't have to perfectly follow the Ten Commandments in order to have eternal life? But does that mean that they are invalidated for the Christ follower? Can, can we just ignore God's standards and expectations? Is it okay? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.